Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to Passion Harvest. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you are in the world right now. I'm so honoured and excited about our guest today, Tom Campbell. Tom is a serious explorer of the frontiers of reality, mind consciousness and psychic phenomena. Tom began researching altered states of consciousness with Bob Monroe at the Monroe Laboratories in the early 1970s. He's been experimenting with and exploring the subjective and objective mind ever since. For the past 30 years, Tom has been focused on scientifically exploring the properties, boundaries and abilities of consciousness. Tom Campbell, a professional physicist, has been at the heart of developing US missile defense systems for the past 20 years. Tom is the author of My Big Toe, A Model of Existence and Reality. This is his story and this is his passion. Tom Campbell, so honored you're on the show. Welcome to Passion Harvest. Well, thank you, Louisa, for asking me and inviting me here. It's uh... It's always good to uh, meet another audience. Yes. And well, I mean, you've just done such incredible work. I'd love to dive right in. I've got so many questions and so many topics to talk to you about. Um, we talk about probabilities and future. What, what, is, what is time? What's your concept of time? Is there a past, a present and a future? Yes, absolutely. Okay. There's, there's all of those. Now, the future is not... A done deal. The future is not something that is there. This is the future and this will happen. It's not like that. There's only a probable future. And those probabilities can change and they do change all the time. Every time we make a choice, we do A instead of B. Well, that may influence the future because now we've done A instead of B, we're going off in the A direction. And instead of the B direction, we went off in the B direction, you'd have different future. You see, so every choice really modifies those, those probabilities that we make. So they're in flux all the time. Then you have the, the past, which is all the things that could have happened and the probability would have. And one little thread that goes through that, that's our history th thread, which is all the things we actually did do. That's just a piece of this, this database. So what is time? Time is a technology of consciousness. Time is generated in our virtual reality by, you know, the outer time loop. Now, that's going to sound kind of odd, but in a simulation, a dynamic simulation, the word dynamic means is that things move, things change. They're not static. Mm -hmm. Static and dynamic are kind of the opposites of each other. So in a dynamic simulation, things change. That means in order to keep up with change, you have to have time. See, time is defined by change. You can't have change without time. So in a dynamic simulation, things change. So it's a simulation of an of a automobile driving down the street. Then you have to have an outer time loop that computes 
the new location of that automobile every, say, hundredth of a second. So what you see is that automobile kind of jumps, you know, pixel at a time, every hundredth of a second, you know, it's updating. Well, if we do it every 10,000th of a second, then it looks perfectly smooth. You know, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't look jerky to our eyes anymore, but it's still done in little increments. So we live in a virtual reality. This virtual reality is a simulation. It has an outer time loop. That, that pixel of time, as I'm calling it, mm-hmm. is like 10 to the minus 44 seconds. It's called Planck time, named after uh, a physicist. Okay. And uh, Planck time, it's not really 10 to the minus 44. Uh, that's just a round number. It's close to that. It's 10 to the minus, it's not 10, it's 7.6. I'm not going to hold you to number, it. But <laughs> nobody cares. But 10 to the minus 44 is just close enough, right, for okay. this kind of a talk. So it's very, very, very small, very, very tiny. And that's our outer loop. That's as fast as our outer loop can get. Okay. So that's where our time comes from. So every so many ticks of that delta T, we call a second. You know, things move. Planet moves around the sun. You know, the sun moves within the, you know, the larger universe. You know, everything's moving, all the dynamics. A person takes a step, you know, a person, you know, smiles or whatever. All these things happen in time. It's because there's this outer loop that, creates time for us it's a it's like a metronome so this this consciousness system is an information system and it's a digital information system because digital systems are the most flexible digital systems can do almost anything everything they're unlimited because what they do is break information down into the tiniest speck which is called a bit and now I can arrange these bits in just zillions of different ways. That's what makes it so flexible. It can do anything with information that can be done with information. So consciousness is a digital information system. Well, let's see. Where was I going with that? You asked me. Is the time, time and the future. Time, yeah. So it... It can create time just by, you know, a digital information system, let's say, is made of ones and zeros. That's just a metaphor, you know, could be ups and downs or in and outs or acid or base or anything that's, let's just say it's binary because that's simple, you know. So just going back and forth between a one and a zero creates a metronome. One, zero, one, zero, one, zero. That's a metronome. It's a clock. So that's what creates time. It's the system creates time because then it can not only do patterns, but it can do sequences. Things can change in, its, in itself and in its environment. That's called regular time. Before there was regular time, there was this what's maybe called primordial time, just because there was change. Consciousness has to be, has to be aware of being in at least two states. I mean, either in this state or that state. And I'm talking about what shall I say, primordial consciousness, the very smallest unit of consciousness possible, an atom of consciousness, a molecule of consciousness, however, whatever metaphors we want to use. But if you reduce consciousness to its barest, you know, barest bones, what it is, it's awareness that can be, you know, aware of itself that it can be either in state one or state zero. 
this way or that way. And that's it. It's just a binary because if it can, in its mind, differentiate one from zero, then it can easily make a series of say one, zero, one, zero, one, zero, just by going back and forth or one, 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 zero, zero, zero. And if it can make ones and zeros, eventually it can make everything because that's all you need for a general purpose computer is enough ones and zeros. Now, the rule of, of lowering entropy comes in and says, how do you lower entropy? Well, you lower entropy by creating information. If all the bits in an information system are random, there's no information. But if you order those bits, like a pattern, one, zero, one, zero, one, zero, well, that's a pattern. It contains information. The next thing is going to be a one, right? One, zero, one, zero, one. The next thing is going to be a zero. After that, next thing's going to be one. So the pattern itself contains information. So order is the opposite of disorder. Entropy is a measure of order. So back, I should say that the other way. Entropy is a measure of disorder. The more entropy you have, the more disorder you have. So uh, an information system evolves by creating information, lowering its entropy. And in order to do that, it makes patterns. And then patterns of patterns. And the more complex the patterns are, then the lower the entropy is, the more information there is. And then it can, it can let ideas be symbolized by those patterns. Oh, this pattern means this. And see how these patterns relate. And then it makes that metronome with one, zero, one, zero, one, zero. Now it can have sequences of patterns and sequences of patterns of sequences. And see, the complexity can grow. And with this complexity, the possibilities of what can happen also grow. So that's how consciousness evolves. And eventually consciousness gets to the point where it has uh, just done about all it can by itself. And the next big step is to interact with another piece of consciousness, something else that also has a free will, something that it can't order, something that it has to act, interact with freely. And that creates then a whole nother set of possibilities. And that's when that consciousness made an individuated unit of consciousness with free will. And then it made hundreds of them and thousands of them and let them interact with the consciousness system and with each other. Because now the system had so much more potential of what it could become with all this interaction of all these different ideas and different viewpoints. You see, there's more diversity now, more possibilities. Mm -hmm. So that's how the whole system got there. That's how, you know, that's why it's that way. That's why we have the virtual reality to give us a, you know, a good reality in which to make important choices with, with uh, good consequences. And that's why um, conscious evolution is toward lowering entropy, toward, and that becomes becoming love. So I'm trying to build, kind of backfill a little bit on the concept so people kind of see a bigger picture, not just a lot of little, yeah, no, little, thank you. little bits. Thank you. Thank you so much for explaining that. And it's interesting. I mean, the probabilities are endless, but when people talk about the future or, or what they see for the future, or you spoke earlier about your work mm -hmm. with Bob Munro, how you would read the newspaper mm -hmm. the following week, you're interpreting the most likely probable events. Right. You're just looking at what's most probable. 
Yes. And sometimes there are things that are so much, they're changing so much that there's just lots of uncertainty. And in which case, trying to see what's likely to happen is impossible. You can't tell. It's any one of a bunch of things. Mm -hmm. But there's other times when things are very stable for a long time. You know, it's kind of, these are things that uh, aren't likely to change very much. And those things then are things that you can, that you, you know, find larger peaks, higher probabilities. So and and greater accuracy then, of predictions. Yeah, but more accuracy. Yeah. So it it's, turns out, you know, speaking of accuracy, it turns out that, that uh, you know, you have two sides to, to you as consciousness. And of course, your avatar has to have, you know, has to have all the, you know, you cannot do anything in this virtual reality that your that the rule set and your avatar, do, you know, uh, doesn't support. So you can't flap your arms and fly because the rule set doesn't mm -hmm. support that. You just can't move enough air to get your bulk off the ground with flapping your arms. So we have this, this uh, brain that has two hemispheres, a right and a left. And that's important because we as consciousness process information two different ways, intellectually and intuitively. So we have an intuitive side and an intellectual side. Now we spend all of our lives honing and polishing our intellectual side. We go to school yeah. just to do that, to polish that intellectual side. And the tool that makes that intellectual side so, so good is called logic. So that's on that side. On the other side, we have the intuitive side. And the intuitive side we hardly spend any time with it at all. We don't polish it. We don't hone it. You know, we don't develop it. We ignore it. Matter of fact, most technical people will even tell you it doesn't exist. It's a, yeah. it's a hallucination. There is no intuition. We just guess and sometimes we're right and sometimes we're wrong. So that's not the case. That intuitive side, if developed, can be just as accurate, just as reliable, and even more significant than the intellectual side. And that's because the, these, these two halves are meant to work together. You're meant to develop both so that they're both kind of of equal strength because you have that logic over on the intellectual side, but that logic has a big problem. It never has enough information to make a good deductive choice, you know? Well, maybe if the choice is really, really simple, like where are my car keys? Well, then logic says, well, where was I last after I you know, got out of the car? Car's in the garage, so they must be in here someplace. Where did I go after I got out of the car? What clothes were I wearing then? What jacket did I have on at that time? So this is logic, you know, trying to, but it doesn't have enough information. It just has to guess at the possibilities. Who should I marry? How many children should I have? Which job should I take? Should I quit my job and get another one? What should I do with my life? These are all very important choices. Yes. Very important choices. And how can that logic come up with answers? Well, it can't because it doesn't have enough information. So you have this very pristine, precise tool called logic, but it hardly ever has enough information to be very logical. <laughs> It's mostly guessing at possibilities. 
On the other side, you have intuition. Now, intuition is not such a precise tool because intuition requires you to be in the right frame of mind. It requires you to have a peaceful mind, not a noisy mind. It requires you to have focus and to have uh, uh, you know, precision in your intentions, where most people's minds are all jumbled, full of thoughts and fears and things that's going every which way, mm-hmm. and they're very confused. You see, so it's a problematic tool in that right now you may be very full of anxiety. Well, then you're not going to be too good at the intuitive things because you're full of anxiety. So not a good way to make decisions. Yeah, not good time to make decisions. And your intuition isn't going to work very well because you're not settled. You're not, you know, focused. So it has a kind of a ratty tool, but it's got all the information. It's got the probable future database, and it's got all the past database. And remember, past isn't just distant past. Past means it was at least 10 to the minus 44 seconds ago. Well, that's pretty current. So it has all the information right up to now, you see, at at your, you know, uh, with you. So you can go into that database and say, well, okay, if I take this job instead of that job, how's that going to work out in the next five years? And you can find that out intuitively because those probabilities are there. And you can ask other, what about 10 years? Or what about 20 years? What if I did marry Sally instead of Sue? What difference would that make? How would that be 10 years later or five years later? Well, there's probabilities there you could look at, or you can go back in that past and say, well, what was it? Where did I get this insecurity from? Why do I feel so insecure? Well, there it is. You can see it. You can experience it, you can re-experience it, and then you can go put your arm around that unhappy child and give them some comfort. You see, so you have all this information that you can deal with. Everything that has happened, everything that anybody has thought about, done, thought about doing, every feeling they had, you know, every thought, every anxiety, every everything, it's all there. It's all it's all there. So you have all the information that you would want. But you have this ratty tool that'll only work some of the time when you're kind of calmed down and after you've learned to meditate and a few other things, you see. So the two of them work perfectly together. If you have this intellect and its logic working with the database that the that the intuitive side gives you, now you've got a logic working with lots of data, and suddenly you have somebody who gets it and who understands and who sees bigger pictures because they've got both of those. So unfortunately, we, particularly in Western culture, if there is such a thing as Western culture anymore, it's kind of just world culture now, uh, uh, you know, we tend to be very unbalanced to the intellectual side, and we don't spend much time at all honing our intuitive side. And if we do, We only hone it in a very specific way to do a very specific thing like remote view or CRs or heal. You know, we we learn little skills, but we, you know, that would be like just learning how to multiply, you know, but never learning how to do calculus. You know, you just learn how to, you know, it's like learning a little skill set, but most people don't really develop their intuitive side in a general way to where they, to where their reality now it's just a, they live every day in a larger reality. 
holistically. That's, yeah, yeah. That, see, that's where we're, we're going. We're going to a place, we, as we develop, as we evolve, to where we live in a much bigger reality. We'll live in a reality that has both of those sides, both the intuitive side and the intellectual side, both working together in a much bigger space with a lot more information and a lot more data. So now you're not living in this tiny little reality. You're living in a much bigger reality. You understand things. You understand yourself. You understand people. You feel people's feelings. You know, you not only, you know, have empathy, but you can see through their eyes how they feel, what it is to walk a mile in their shoes, because you can do that. You can do that. You can look at how they feel and what they see and how they see it. And what it always does when you can do that is it gives you compassion. Mm -hmm. When you really understand other people, you don't get angry at them. You feel compassion for them because they're struggling. They're trying to get by. They're trying to do the best they can with what they've got. And it isn't easy. And they're struggling. And all they know how to do is to get angry, perhaps. So instead of saying, wow, what a jerk. Instead, you say, wow, that's... <sighs> I, I feel their pain. I feel where they're coming from. You know, how can I help? So it's a, it's a different way of approaching things. So if we all lived in this larger reality, then it would be a much nicer space because we would appreciate each other and the, the gifts that everybody brings to it, the uniqueness that everybody brings to our reality. Everybody is very special. So that's, that's where we're hoping to go as yes. we evolve the quality of our consciousness. You see, that's the way, that's the, that's the point. We will end up in a situation where what everybody wants to do is to be helpful and useful to everybody else. And when you get to that point, then cooperation is a given. Working in teams is a given. Egos, no, we don't have the egos. Egos are gone. We don't have people wanting to take over, wanting to run the team, wanting to do it their way. You see, we don't have any of that. Everybody wants to do it the way that it works best because that's best for everybody, including themselves. So things just work out much better. It's a much kinder, better place. So that's where we're headed. And the good news is, Louisa, is that we're going to get there. We will get there one day. Because, I certainly hope so. It sounds because wonderful. evolution evolution is not delicate evolution may be slow but it's relentless and even if we go backwards even if we make some terrible choices and go backwards to where we were 500 years ago we'll still get there it just takes us longer so it's inevitable we'll we will find that that beautiful place to live in that kinder gentler you know place where we can all share and cooperate it's there but the question is how long will it take us to get there well if you would like to get there sooner the most important and the biggest way that you can contribute to that result is by getting rid of your own fear ego and beliefs because you're the only person you can change so you want to optimize you know the world you want to fix the world that's how you fix it. You get rid of your own fears, ego, and beliefs. Now, ego and beliefs are results of fears. If you didn't have fears, you wouldn't have the ego and beliefs. You have those mostly because the fear gives them to you. So all that stuff needs 
to go. And uh, your, your contribution to the world is really fixing yourself. That saying, change yourself, change the world around you is absolutely exactly. true. Yeah. You are the change you want to see in the world, right? Yes. I think Gandhi, Gandhi said that. Too. I mean, a lot yeah. of wise people have gotten to the point where they see that that's the, you know, that is the way forward is you have to change yourself. You have to become love. Just, just, just very briefly, because many of the audience are interested in this. What, what happens when our physical body dies? Okay. That's fairly easy to explain. Well, what good. happens? This is an easy one. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is easy. And the way, the reason I say that is that in my now, you know, forty some years of getting around in the in the consciousness system, I guess what we here in the virtual reality would call the non-physical. Mm-hmm. You know, I have you know been with people as they died. You can be with them. You can go with them. You can follow them. You can kind of hang with them through their process. And you can be completely aware of your own process because you can get all that out of the database. So you know what your own processes have been, what other people's processes have been. And I was given a job in the place I call the transition reality, which is where you end up after you leave here. And I worked there for some months. That means from our perspective, that means for some months, as soon as I close my eyes, I was there and I stayed there all night working, interacting with people, people coming in, seeing how the process worked. Um, And I did that for a couple of months. It was just a a course I was in, you might say, a lesson that the system was giving me to help me see how that worked. So I've seen it from both sides. I've seen it from the personal side. I've seen it from going with other people and I've seen it from having a job in the, in that, that reality frame where, where we transition, where we're in a transition. So basically it works like this. Now, my model is just a model. And I tell people, don't confuse the model of reality with reality. They're two different things. Models made up mostly of metaphors. The larger consciousness system is a metaphor for source. Okay, the individual unit of consciousness is a metaphor for us, our consciousness who we are. It's a piece of the larger system. Um, We have then a piece that we partition off from us, just like the larger system partitioned a piece off to make us, the IUOC, we and IUOC partition off a little piece called a free will awareness unit. And that's the part that actually logs on to the human avatar, is that free will awareness unit. Okay. That's because the individual unit of consciousness is the cumulative function of all the lifetimes. And yes, this means there are lots of lifetimes. We don't just live this one lifetime. And the reason for that is in order to grow up, in order to evolve consciousness, it can't be a one, a one shot. It doesn't work. You know, learning is a cumulative process. You have to learn A before you can even begin to learn B, and then you have to learn B before you can begin to learn C. It's a cumulative process. It's not something you can do all at once. If you take uh, 10 people and send them all to kindergarten, all, you know, you take, at the end, you don't have somebody equivalent to a 10th grader. You just have 10 people have been in kindergarten, right? You got 10, you get kindergarten 10 times over. Yeah. So it has to be cumulative. So you can't parallel process it. It, parallel process it you have to process it 
linearly, serially process it one after other, and to actually change yourself to make these choices that you are become a different person is not an easy task. And it takes many lifetimes to do that. And we as individual units of consciousness are evolving the quality of our consciousness. And we do that by continually getting back in this game of making important choices by getting in this virtual reality. So that's kind of how the mechanics work. So here we are, an individual unit of consciousness, an IUOC, and we've had maybe a thousand lifetimes or maybe 10,000 lifetimes. So we have all of that in memory. All of that is our background. That's our history for all the lives that we've had. And we can see the progress that's going on. And we know that maybe we need to work on these kinds of things because we keep having trouble with that in our incarnations. Maybe anger management, you know, maybe feeling inadequate, whatever it is, there's things that we have trouble with. So we're aware of that because we have history. We have all of these things that we've, we've been and we're the sum of all of those. So this IUOC has to be that cumulative us, that cumulative piece of consciousness of all of us. Whereas this free will awareness unit now, the IUOC just takes a piece of itself, none of the memory, just all of the quality. And it partitions off a piece of itself. Now, if you work with computers, you know you can just partition off a piece of a computer and you can really emulate another computer inside a bigger computer. You see, it's called emulation. Mm-hmm. You can make a, a, a different, like, like the uh, Macintosh. Because the world is mostly PC and Macintosh is the smaller set, then Macintosh has a thing that emulates a PC so that you can go into PC emulation mode and now you can run PC software because your Macintosh looks like a PC to that software. That's one computer emulating another computer inside of itself. Well, consciousness is an information system. It does the same way. We as an IUOC are just a subset of that larger conscious system, a partitioned off piece of that larger consciousness system, a little uh, virtual machine, if you will, inside the bigger machine. Well, we do the same thing. We're an IUOC, individual unit of consciousness, and we're going to create a little virtual virtual machine inside of us called you know the free will awareness unit and that's what's going to log on and make all that all the choices for that avatar and what we put into that virtual machine that free will awareness unit subset is all of our quality everything we've learned all the conscious quality all the evolution that we've gained up to this time that's what we put in that we don't put any of the intellectual information, any of the history, any of what happened, because we don't want this consciousness to be trapped in all of its old thoughts and old mistakes and old ideas. We don't want it to be overwhelmed with, um, you know, 10,000 wives, uh, you know, 40,000 children, uh, etc. You know, all that information is beside the point. We don't want it to be able to game the system. Okay, here I am. And I know I'm supposed to lower my entropy by, you know, being better. Well, I'll act better. Well, it's not about acting. It's about being. Being means you have to be it, change it. See, you can't do that just from your intellect. Intellect doesn't help there. The intellect will just help you act. It won't help you be. In order to be, you just have to be authentic, experience, and you are who you are, and then you learn from your choices, you see. So bringing along that, that intellectual part would just get in the way. It would be too much. 
and it would just get in the way and would cause us to try to game the system rather than actually learn anything because that's the way we are. So we just give that free will awareness unit our quality. And now it logs on to this new human avatar and it could log on while the avatar is still in the womb. It could log on at birth. It could log on, you know, months after birth. Doesn't matter. It can log on wherever it feels that there's enough information coming for it to work on, get used to. Okay. Okay. So it, uh, it logs on and because it's totally immersed, that's the only thing it logs on to. It doesn't take a break and go get a sandwich. You know, it doesn't uh, have to leave to go to the bathroom like we do when we pay virtual realities. It logs on 100% of its awareness now is with this avatar. And because it doesn't have any intellectual information, all of its information that it gets is the sense data, comes through the sense data of the avatar. It's the, the only experience it has is the avatar's experience. It doesn't come with experience of its own, just quality, you see? So it's only quality, no experience. All of its experience is the avatar's experience. So naturally it identifies itself as the avatar because that's all the experience it has. So it says, oh, I am this avatar. This avatar is me, which is why we think that, you know, we're no avatar, you know, we are who we are. Yeah. We believe that because that's the way the system is set up. We should believe that. Anyway, so it makes all the choices for the avatar. Hopefully, it makes good choices. It makes caring and cooperative choices. And let's say it evolves and, and uh, lowers its entropy a bit. And the avatar wears out and it dies. When the avatar dies, the awareness, the free will awareness unit, finds itself no longer in physical reality. It's like, oh, hmm, looking around, where am I? Ah. And almost immediately, something will catch its attention. Often it's light, or maybe some beings, or sounds, something will catch its attention, and it will have the idea it needs to go over there and be a part of that, see what that is, see what's going on there, because otherwise it's just in this dark void by itself. Right. So it goes there. And what it, what it generally sees is what it needs to see in, other, in order for it to relax and unwind from the past experience that it just had. So instantly upon death, that free will awareness unit is aware of its past existence, of what it just left, who it was, the situation it just left. Oh, no. You know, I left three orphans and a, and a widow, you know, and now how are they going to get along? You know, it's aware of all those things. Mm -hmm. But that begins to fade like a dream, just the way dreams fade. Now, the more focused you are on it, the longer it takes to fade. You know, if you're not all that focused on it, well, it fades very quickly, like dreams do. If you're not really focused on a dream, geez, three minutes later, you can't even remember what it was about. If you were really focused on a dream, you might remember it for an hour or maybe even a couple of days. But eventually it gets kind of sketchy and pretty soon it kind of disappears. So it's like that. They tend, they tend to forget. And this transition reality is another virtual reality. Consciousness is the only thing fundamental. Everything, every place you can experience is a virtual reality. 
So you go to this virtual reality, your attention is drawn, and when you start to see something else, then your mind stops turning on what just happened, and you start thinking, oh, what is this other thing? You know, so you kind of open your mind to that. Well, that other thing is meant to draw you in, occupy your attention, focus you on other things so that you will let go of that past life, and you do, and everybody does. I know people think, no, I won't. I'll never forget. I'll never think, you know, forget my children. And I'll never right. forget my lover. And I'll never forget you know, this. But you do that. You let that stuff go. It's not in your reality anymore. And you really can't even remember too much about it anymore because that dream is just fading quickly on you. If you haven't been around too many times and need, or if you come in with a lot of fear, people who are very religious often come in with fear. <laughs> am I at the pearly gates or am I at the fiery, you know, gates of hell? You know, how have I been judged? You know, they come with a lot of fear. Well, if you come in with a lot of fear and a lot of intrepidation, then the, the process takes a little longer because it takes a little longer for you to let all that go and kind of get past it. If you come in without much fear, then typically it's, uh, Oh, come on over here. Uh, oh, look, there's Uncle Fred. He died 10 years ago. Yeah, he was my favorite uncle. And there's my you know, grandparents and whatever. You start seeing people you know, and they're all saying, oh, come on. Yeah, it's good in here. Yeah, it's wonderful. Sure. And pretty soon somebody says, well, you know, you need to register. You need to matriculate in. So you go over and get, see that line? See the lady with the red dress? Go over there. Not the same one that was in the Matrix, but a little older one. Yeah. You need to go over and get in that line. And uh, and they'll take care of you. Everything's fine. You know? So all of this is just busy work to keep your mind relaxed off the process of attaching to the past life that you just got out of and starting a new perspective. So that's the way that works. Now, the next thing you do after you've relaxed, now, if you are uptight, then maybe you'll stand in that line for a long time. You may have three or four lines to stand in, you know. If you're not uptight and you're relaxed about it, well, you really don't have to stand in line. You can, you can, you know, you just are fine, you know, kind of the way you are. What you're doing is preparing now for your next incarnation, your next lifetime or experience packet, as I call it. And if you are kind of a newbie, haven't been around the cycle too often, you don't have a lot of wishes. It's just jump in, jump out, because you just need experience. You haven't had enough experience yet to really know what kind of experience you need most. You just need experience, all kinds of experiences. You need to be male. You need to be female. You need to be different races, different genders, different places, different cultures, all sorts of things. You just need to gain perspective and experience on being and on the choice making. So after you've been around a while, now you do have certain things. Oh, okay. I had a tendency to get angry or I, my self-centeredness is what really, you know, gets me in trouble every time. So you start thinking about what, what could I do next time that would help me learn the lessons I need to learn. And there's always somebody around to help you out, give you suggestions and offer you uh, another incarnation. Now, you have free will. Nobody ever forces you to do anything. You could just say, I don't want to stand in a line. I'm just going to stand right here and suck my thumb. You know, you could just yeah. do anything you want. Hang out. 
And they'd say, sure, fine, we'll do that. Nothing is, you know, there's no force. There's nothing required. You can, you can uh, do whatever you want, or you can not do whatever you want to not do. So you, if you want to, let's say you have, uh, you happen to be a person who is very self-centered, but you don't believe that. You say, oh, I'm not self-centered. You know, I didn't have anger management. It's just that I, I lived with a lot of jerks and it was a hard life and I lived in a bad place. And that's, that's why I made those bad choices. It's not about me. It's about the environment made me do that. Well, then you often will then get that life review where they'll take you through a little, a little uh, storyline of your life where here you are making horrible choices and point out to you, no, it wasn't just your environment. You had a lot of choices. You just made some very bad choices. And yes, you do have anger problems. And, you know, to try to wake you up a bit to what it is you have to learn. So some people go through that because they need it. Other people don't because they don't need it. Some people go through a lot of handholding. Others just matriculate through very quickly. It just depends on the individual. So then you kind of have an idea of what you'd like to do, maybe even who you'd like to do it with. That's possible, you know, but then you've been around long enough times to find people that work really well with you. You kind of bring out the best in each other, you know, then that's sometimes good. So you may just do it with those people, maybe wait till they're available or, you know, whatever. Anyway, I'd say there's lots of variety. It's not like this is how it always happens to everybody. It's, it's kind of an individual thing. Once it's decided that, oh, we have another avatar for you, and here's the, here's the situation, you know, is, it, is that okay? If you say yes, well, there you go. Now you, and you're off. Then you're off, you're back in another free will awareness unit, and you're attached to that avatar, and you got another life to live. So that's the way it works, and it just keeps going round and round because we're kind of slow at growing up. <laughs> we need a lot of opportunities to learn these lessons of how not to be angry, how not to be self-centered, how to care, how to be cooperative, how to be positive. And it's not how to act that way, but how to be that way. And that's what makes it difficult. And it, it's a learning is a serial thing. It just takes a lot of shots at it to, to be able to do it. Now, we have help. We get a lot of help because, you know, the system is not a done system. The system is still evolving. Larger conscious system is still evolving. We are a part of it. As we evolve, it evolves because we're a part of it. So as we lower the entropy in our little piece, well, the entropy of the whole thing goes down a little because we are a piece of it. So the system is willing to help us grow. And there's no help end us point. succeed. There's no end point. There is no end point. You don't get to the point where you're done. All right, I've learned everything. I'm perfect love. My entropy is zero and I'm done. Well, if you ever got to the point where you felt that way, surely your ego would start to grow. Ah, I'm done. All right, I made it. Good for me. And your entropy would just naturally start to grow. Because once you're done, you stop working on becoming. Because you don't have to become anymore. You're done. As soon as you stop working on becoming, you're not putting any effort or energy into it. And naturally, entropy just increases. If you don't put energy into it, if you don't try and make an effort, entropy just goes up. That's the nature of entropy. 
that's nature of entropy in this reality as well. You know, everything decays, everything, everything has a shelf life. Everything dissipates. If you don't put energy into it, if you don't, you know, if you don't keep putting maintenance into your house, your house will eventually collapse. You know, it may take a couple of hundred years, but eventually it'll just disappear, turn into rot, turn into dust, turn into food for worms, and just be gone because that's the way it is. Entropy increases. Disorder just increases unless you put effort into decreasing it. Okay, so that's the way it is. So there is no endpoint. You just keep growing and learning. And the point is, it isn't always about you. Matter of fact, it becomes not about you very early on in this process, because that's the whole point of it. It's about other. And there's always other people to help. There's always other people that need a good example, that need to help, you know, they need help to understand, help to grow up. So you never run out of things to do. So somebody who says, I'm done, you know, I don't want to go, I don't want to go back. I, you know, I don't want to be helpful to anybody. It's all about me. I'm done. Well, obviously they're not done or they wouldn't feel that way. Yeah. If they really were done, they'd say, yeah, where can I go next? Where do they need me most? That's what you'd say. Where can I help the most? That's what you'd be excited to do, not excited to be done. So this idea that you, when you get to that point, another idea is that you just meld with the larger conscious system, you just become one with the system again. Well, that isn't working. The system had to break IUCs apart from itself. Going back into the system is counterproductive. You know, you're more productive as an IUOC interacting with others, helping others grow up than you are just returning to the system. That's not a helpful thing. That's a actually not helpful thing. If, ever, if, if all the IUCs did that, the system would be right back in the jam it was in when it had to create the first IUOCs. You see, that's not the point. The point is we can make something better if we all cooperate and work together. We can do something that no one conscious could do on its own. There's more power. There's more synergy in cooperation than there is in just a star being super good. A team is better than a star. You see, teams may have stars, but once that star starts to be stops working on the with the team and starts just being a star, then the star becomes less functional, less helpful. So that's how it works. You don't become one with the Godhead. You don't just sit on a cloud and learn to play a harp for eternity. You don't go hang out with your loved ones because you actually have tens of thousands of those. You know, that's not very practical either. And that would be stasis. If all you do is just hang out forever, then you're not growing. You're not learning. The only way to learn is by making choices, by having new, new choices to make, new things to deal with, new opportunities, you know, new people, new situations, new, new choices. Yeah. If all you have is the same old choices over and over again, well, you're not going to learn much. So sitting around with your loved ones is, might sound like a nice idea, but it's not something that is going to be very valuable for eternity because as consciousness, you are immortal. You don't die. Avatars die. The consciousness doesn't die. And the consciousness needs to continue to evolve or it will begin to de-evolve. 
And when you get out of the system, well, now I'm done. I'll sit on a cloud and play a harp and hang out with my loved ones. That's a recipe for de-evolution, not evolution. Might be fun for a while, maybe even a, a decade, maybe even a century, but we're talking about a lot more time than that. It's just not what you need for growth. It's not helpful to you or to them or to the system. So it doesn't work that way which upsets a lot of people get really upset with that because they are going to be with those people they love forever and ever. And a lot of songs say that, and, you know, a lot of people say that, but it just, that isn't a functional system. That is a system that dead ends and starts de-evolving. It's not a system that works. Systems that work have to keep on evolving, keep on growing. So no, there is no end. But now, on the other hand, you know, there's lots of new beginnings. There's no ends, but there's lots and lots of new beginnings. There's lots of wonderful new people, new loved ones, new people that otherwise you would never have met, never have fallen in love with, children you would never had, never experienced. There's lots of experiences yet to happen. And all of those give you opportunity to care and to give and to make good choices. So that's the thing you look forward to. It's getting back in there and seeing how you can help doing it better next time. And the next time you start over with no memory, just to just whatever quality you've your IUOC has learned up to this point, And you start with that. Is it possible to de-evolve? Yes, you could make poor choices and go backwards. And if you do, there's no punishments. You don't get your hands, you know, your knuckles wrapped or, you know, you don't get put in jail or anything. All it is is that now you have further to go. So you've got to work yourself back out of that hole just to get back to where you were. It's going to take some more better choices just to get back where you were, much less get further than that. So that's the, that's the whole thing about um, um, karma. This karma about, you know, you, you've murdered somebody, so now somebody will murder you, you know, all that sort of very detailed stuff doesn't work that way. All karma is, is that there's no free lunch. You don't get a pass just because you tried. You have to grow up. And if you de-evolve, well, now you have to evolve back to where you were and then go forward. And if you de-evolve a whole lot, then you've got to grow a whole lot just to get back to where you were. So the karma is just what you do to yourself, not what is not so that something that is done to you. It's basically what you do to yourself that you have to take responsibility for all your choices. And if your choices are poor choices, then you'll have to work out, work yourself out of those poor choices some other time. And if that takes you another 10,000 lifetimes, well, it'll just take you another 10,000 <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> lifetimes, you know, it takes, you know, it's not a time test. You have as long as you need all the time in the world. Yeah. All the time in the world and then some. So that's the point. So the, there is, you know, the concept of karma is simply that you don't know free passes. You have to earn your quality. You don't get quality just because of who you hang out with or how you act. You have to earn it by how you are, and you only get that by making good choices, by being that way. You know, there's a big difference between acting kind and being kind. So true. We know lots of people who act kind. We know lots of people who smile a lot. But 
we also know people who act kind who really aren't all that kind. They are putting on an image for a reason, for a purpose. You know, it's a, it's a game that people play. And sometimes all the game is, is just trying to be what I think I should be. But trying to be who you think you should be, again, is playing a role. It's not who you are. That's why the first step is getting authentic. See, find out who you are. Just who are you? And then you know what to work on. Then you can go forward. But you, if you've got this fear and you, you, know, you, you deny it, you don't see it, or you deny it, then how can you get rid of it? You don't own it. You can't get rid of something you don't own. So step one is own it. Okay, this is me. Don't feel bad about that. Just it's a fact. Here I am. Now, what am I going to do about me? <laughs> you know, what do I like? What do I want to change? And how am I going to get there? That's the, that's the thing. But you have to start with authenticity. Because you can't get rid of something that, that you don't own, that you don't hold, that you don't ad ad admit you even have. You know, yeah. How are you going to get rid of something you deny that you have? Or don't even, are not even aware of it. Or not aware of it, right. So that's why becoming aware of it is step, step one. What an inspiration you are, Tom. It's just been so insightful, this whole conversation I've learned and grown so much from speaking to you. <laughs> is, is there something that you'd like to share with the Passion Harvest audience? And we've covered so much that I haven't asked you. Well, well first, let me ask you, look at your list and see if there's anything that you just really were dying to ask that you didn't ask. Oh, Is no, I any? haven't. I think we've covered, you have covered so much. We've covered a lot. And more. <laughs> yeah, we've covered a lot of it. Well, yeah, I would say that, uh, you know, the, the, the key, one of the key ideas here is to stay positive. Negativity is always fear-based. Negativity is ego-based. Negativity is belief-based. If you find that you are uh, negative about things, maybe you're just negative about the way the world is, you know, negative, if you're particularly, if you're negative about yourself, that's a terrible thing because you have more power modifying future probability about yourself than you do about modifying future probability about anybody else. Yes. So if you're negative about yourself, you really create, you know, a hole for yourself. You need to not be negative about yourself. That's a, that's the first thing. When you look at yourself, when I say, you know, own it, I mean, stop being negative about it. All right, there's me, and I have anger, and I have this, and, you know, I get upset, and I demand my way, and, okay, I'm like that, and I have these fears, but don't then say, wow, I'm a wreck. I really need a lot of work. Just say, well, that's me, and I need a lot of work. But, you see, don't be negative. Be positive, and the only way up, you know, the only way forward from here is up. You know, we're going to work on these things. So stay positive about everything. Don't look at anything from the negative viewpoint of it. Don't see the dark cloud. Look for the silver lining in it. Look for the opportunity in everything. Don't be upset that you live in a world full of greedy, you know, people who are all trying to take advantage of you. You know, don't be upset by that. Just accept it's a fact. Okay, if that's what I live in, and that's the way I see it, then that's the way I see it. Now, what am I going to do with that? How can I optimize 
the situation when I live in a world like that? Well, then you move forward positively, you see, to say, oh, no, life really sucks, and it's so awful, and people are so awful, and, you know, I have a hard time making ends meet, and I don't know where the next meal, you know, you go on and on about how awful your life is. That's just misery creating more misery, and it won't get you out of anything. The very, very most dysfunctional place you can possibly be is a victim. If you see yourself as a victim, that's you agreeing that you're hopeless and helpless, powerless. powerless. You see yourself as a victim, that's a dead end. You have to get out of that negative space and get into the positive space of, okay, here's reality. Here's my reality. Now, what am I going to do with it? How am I going to learn from it? What choices do I have? And with the choices I do have, how can I make them best? You know, what are the low entropy choices here? And just be different. You know, so, but be positive. So the key thing, find yourself being negative. Anytime you feel any negative emotion or feeling coming to you, feeling even just anxious, feeling upset, feeling stressed, feeling angry, feeling hurt, feeling ignored, feeling, you know, go on and on and on. We could list probably a hundred adjectives there that people feel that are negative. Whenever you feel some of those, catch yourself and say, oh, I choose to feel that way. This is my choice to feel that way. I could feel differently. And you might say, no, I couldn't feel any different. I feel anger and I couldn't feel anything else. But you could feel something else if you could just grow up a little bit. You could grow beyond that. So you feel negative feelings. Stop it and say, I don't want to feel like that. I don't want to be that way. And really mean it. And if you really mean it, that I don't want to be that way, not that I don't want to act that way, but I don't want to be that way, then you gradually won't be that way. It'll go away. So be positive in everything you do. Any negativity, complaining, things aren't right, you know, commiserating with your friends about awful things are, you know, with your coworkers about how awful the boss is and so on. All of that doesn't help. That puts you as part of the problem. Fear is the problem. Negativity is the problem. And in as much as you engage in it, you're part of the problem. In as much as you don't engage in it, in as much as you engage in being positive, you're part of the solution. And you're part of the solution for all, for all of us, you know, for the world, for humanity. So just try to stay part of the solution as much as you can. And when you become part of the problem, because you will, you will have that fear, you will have that negative thing, you will get upset, you will get angry, but don't get upset with yourself and don't say, oh, I'm terrible. Don't be negative about it, it's just being negative about yourself. Say, okay, that's, that's it, that's the way I am, but I don't wanna be that way and I'll, you know, what are my, you know, how, how can, what else can I do not to be that way? And start thinking about it. And as just you're thinking about it and your intent will start to change you. And it'll go away. Eventually, it'll all just get less and less and less. And then it'll be, you won't have any buttons for anybody to push. You'll be buttonless. And no matter what people do, you're okay with it. You won't be upset. And everybody will love you. And your relationships will all be beautiful. You see, so that's where we're, that's where we're going. And that would be what I tell people, stay positive. Negative feelings are part of the problem. 
You can't blame them on your environment. Yeah, I feel negative at work because my boss is a jerk. No, don't blame your boss. You know, it's not your boss's choice that you feel negative. It's your choice that you feel negative. Look at your situation at work and say, all right, this is a situation. I have a boss that really doesn't know what he's doing, but he is the boss. And how can I make the best of that? How can I, you know, how can I work with that? How can I work with the boss just the way he is? You know, how do you work with a boss that doesn't know what he's doing and help him succeed? How do you help the boss succeed and feel better? Because if he feels better about himself, he'll be nicer to us. So how can I help the boss succeed? How can I help him feel good about what he's doing? Now you're part of the solution. You may or may not be able to accomplish that, but at least you're part of the solution and you're not upset anymore. You're trying to make it as positive as possible. So that's the idea. You know, if you just take away a general concept is be positive, be positive. Because when you're positive, you'll see that it's almost always about others, not about you. When you're negative, it's always about you. Oh, woe is me. Oh, this hurts. Oh, this isn't right. Oh, they shouldn't have done that to me. Oh, this is unfair. You know, it's always about you. When you're positive, it's almost always about other people. I mean, it might be about you too. You can be positive about you. That's fine. Oh, I'm doing good. Yeah, fine. Good for me. Now let's go on and do better. Yeah, be positive. What a great, what a perfect and wonderful message to end the show. I love it. <laughs> Tom so Campbell. That's the key. You're remarkable. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Louisa. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks oh for giving me an opportunity gosh. to talk to your audience. It was an absolute pleasure yeah. and a, a delight to have you on the yeah. show. Yeah. We could go on for more hours, I'm sure. We, but uh, we pretty could. soon we'll exhaust you and exhaust your audience both. And exhaust you, but perhaps another time. So <laughs> it's just been wonderful. Thank you so much, Tom. <laughs> well, thank you very much too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening. And please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate.